Hey, everybody. Um, we are back with a special emergency edition of Kente Corner. Did not think a podcast would be recorded uh, Monday night during Monday Night Football this week. Um, I'm Bobby Bancroft, joined with Andrew Geiger and Ben Standig. I believe everyone knows each other and everyone that's been listening knows where everyone's from. Guys, um, Josh LeBlanc and James Akinjo no longer on the team as of a couple hours ago. Huge news that hurts Georgetown basketball uh yeah so you know first reaction what in the actual fuck is going on here you know we had obviously something was amiss with leblanc's minutes right something was up with ewing and akinjo um obviously ewing was upset with some things that he's been doing on the court but this seems like a big drastic step and then obviously over the last couple of hours um some other news has come out linking them to alleged incidents on campus. So maybe this was a move that Ewing really just, just had to make um, regarding their status and eligibility at, at, the, at the university. Ben? Um, well, I, you know, I mean, uh, the t- first, I guess first off, the timing is just super weird. I mean, we've seen some, you know, if a guy is transferring typically because of, you know, whatever, a lack of playing time and misses his family, that typically is like an end of the semester situation, and then you kind of uh, kind of go from from there. Now we you know in the past, like when you had the Greg Whittington situation, you know something can come up uh, out of the blue, and then you have to make the, the program has to make a determination. So the date could be whatever, but that two guys simultaneously went out is definitely bizarre at this point. I know Bobby's definitely pointed to the to the LeBlanc situation. He already had, he was suspended for the season opener for uh, some sort of rules violation, I was told at that time. And, you know, his minutes have never quite come back to where they were a year ago and even less in this last game. Um, So, you know, from a basketball perspective, like I could easily imagine, I guess, leaving for those reasons, the Kinjo part is definitely bizarre. And, you know, like I said, factoring in the timing and what Andrew was saying, this is, uh, you know, it's hard to know what to make of this right now, but but this is, uh, you know, it's obviously a massive blow to the basketball aspect of this, but the other aspect, what the program aspect is, uh, is definitely interesting right now. I mean, can I just say, starting from their media day, which happened pretty late, and I feel like that was unusual, maybe it had something to do with the Nats playoff run over here or whatever, but I'm just looking at the media guide, and the front of it, you've got a Kinjo, you're at seven, and McClung, and then you go to the back, and you've got Mosley and Pickett. So LeBlanc wasn't at the preseason media day. It was on a Sunday, and I think I heard that maybe he had some sort of assignment or class or whatever. But then to not have him on the media guide, he doesn't play in the first game. He's barely playing at all. He's one of your four best players. To me, there was always like, what's going on with Josh LeBlanc? This doesn't make any sense. I didn't suspect any of the things that have sort of been out there now but you sort of had a sense that like there was something wrong, right? Well, I mean, to that end though, if there was something going on behind the scenes for a while that the school was at least aware of, um, and if it was so severe as to rise to, you know, ultimately kicking him off the team, you wonder why certain actions weren't taken a long time ago. Um, you know, what, what good did it do to not just suspend him for the first game, but then play him at all 
even in that limited minutes, you know, <laughs> drawing the ire of the entire fan base. One, you know, everyone's questioning what's going on with him, and th- th- this whole thing has been so. I mean, for lack of a better term, bizarre and just handled really poorly. And you wonder ultimately, who does that fall on? You know, is that is that some sort of is is this a Ewing thing? Is this one of those um, you know one of those athletic mentors who is sort of a liaison with the students? Um, you know, how did all this stuff fall through the cracks? Who's ultimately responsible for for what's clearly gone on with members of the team off the court? Yeah, I mean, I, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm okay. Okay, no, it's fine. Uh, no, yeah, no, I was gonna say, I mean, you know, it, it's uh, you know, it, it's obviously hard to know exactly what to, what to make of this whole thing, but I do think one of the things that becomes interesting going forward is we. Right. I mean, like, what? what's the – okay, let me put it like this. We're still sort of learning the Patrick Ewing coaching situation and, and how he runs the program. We typically focus on, hey, how come they can't make shots or why is this guy not playing up so many minutes or what kind of play call was that? Why don't they play defense? You know, the, the sort of basic things that, that that fans complain about. But then there's the bigger stuff, and typically that is, in, in this context, recruiting. You know, hey, how come you're not getting – four or five star guys and the, what was, you know, the kid from Gonzaga, the local kid, wait, he didn't sign his com- his commitment letter. We focus on these things. That's part of it. But then there is the other part of, Hey, are these kids going to class? Are they doing the right thing? And to this point, I don't think we've had a reason to question what's going on, but we are still sort of learning what this is about. We had JT three here for a decade. And from that a lot of time, we did get a sense of, of how that worked and, and, and what kind of program it was, you know, and things like that. So, it, you know, we, we are still, relatively speaking, still in the infancy of learning about what Ewing is doing, which doesn't suggest that he's done anything wrong. It's to suggest we don't, you know, we don't quite know. And as we're hearing some of these stories, rumors, whatever, you know, it'll be interesting to see how this plays out. And, like, to the point, you know, I, 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 I'm not as conspiracy uh, theory driven uh, in terms of why LeBlanc wasn't at media day. But at the same point, um, you know, he did, he, he did miss the first game for a rules violation and, you know, didn't get any explanation as to that. In fact, the only reason we, we, we know that it was that was that's what I reported. I, right, Patrick, you didn't even say that when asked about it. He didn't say anything. So we don't really even technically know anything about the situation. And then, you know, that, that becomes a question at some point of, okay, wait, why don't we know? What, what, you know, what are, why don't you address it? Or, you know, how did you handle it? What was it? And things like that. Yeah, I mean, look, you've got, to that point, I think it's true. We're still learning about Ewing. But what we do know is that this is the beginning of year three. These are all his guys, right? These are all guys that, that he's recruited. And Except Mosley, in, yeah. I mean, no, the ones that are oh yeah yeah suspended, and um, in the span of two and change years, we've had four guys get kicked off the team already. You know, from Chris Sodom to Antoine Walker to Akinjo and LeBlanc. That's a big number. Um, you know, you wonder if sort of after Sodom got kicked off and Walker got kicked off, there was a reaction among the fan base. You know. First of all, we don't even know what they did. 
Um, but you know, what was was that punishment? Were those punishments too harsh? You wonder if well, Chris was there a video of Chris Sodom? Yeah, there there you know some sort of fight on campus, but you know it's college, right? I mean, I don't know how severe it was, and maybe it was really severe. I, I just don't know. Um, but you wonder if the LeBlanc, the way the LeBlanc issue was handled with the one-game suspension was a reaction to those, uh, you know, kicking those two off the team completely. Um, I don't know. It, it just, it's just, it's almost, it's a sad day. You hate to see it. Um, but I, I, I almost try, I, I try to see the bright side of the situation here. I try to think that maybe the team and the program moving forward, this is some sort of addition by subtraction. Um, but I don't know. I don't know where well, to go from here. If you want to go bright side, LeBlanc wasn't playing a whole much anyway, currently. Right. Um, he yeah. wasn't playing the 30 minutes that I was saying he needed to play. I mean, last game he played 11 and Patrick Ewing pointed out his plus minus was negative 18, which I was surprised Patrick Ewing was keeping track of that stat or, you know, someone told him in game, he made it sound like he knew in, in real time that he was, you know, a minus 18, which I thought was, he doesn't usually criticize players like that openly, um, at least to right. us. Um, the Akinjo thing is pretty hard. Um, this did happen in a year where, assuming everyone else stays on the team, which you have no idea if that's happening, um, they do have – I mean, Gardner played a lot last game in the second half. Blair played a lot in the second half. Guys that were taking the minutes from McClung and stuff. And, you know, Allen played on an NCAA tournament team that won a game and took Duke to the limit. This, this is Ewing's best year to, to handle that, but obviously – you don't lose the biggest leader in assists last year as a freshman and just rush it off and say next man up. And, and, and I just like to point out that a lot of the court documents and such that have been circulated tonight on Twitter by, you know, various people, including uh, myself, um, all of them, Akinjo isn't named in any of these documents, right? So maybe, Akinjo leaving the team is related to some issues he had with Ewing and usage, et cetera, and not yeah. anything related to on campus. I don't know. I mean, it's a speculation, um, but I haven't seen his name come up in any of these complaints or court documents or whatever. So, um, you know, maybe we'll find out more moving forward, but uh, just something to point out. Yeah, I think I think that's a that, that's a, a a fair point. Which would then go back to if he's leaving for sort of the standard reasons, you know, upset with the coaching staff or his role, whatever. Then then that brings up different questions. But you know, uh, ultimately, you know, there's there's potential legal stuff, which is a bigger deal. But then there's the you know the basketball part of it. And like I said before, like we're still trying to figure out the Patrick Ewing era. I mean, you make a good point, uh, Mr. Casual, that. Uh, you know, four guys have now been, um, all, you know, kicked off the team for whatever the reason. Um, Akinjo leaving, if it were for basketball reasons only, like that would be a different type of, whoa, what, what's going on here, considering his role, his status, his ability. And, um, yeah, I mean, that would be huge. I mean, I think I, I, uh, I won't go so far as to say addition by subtraction, but, yeah, sure, is there like a, a, a timeline where maybe that's the case that maybe these guys were, you know, uh, cranky and, uh, you know, not helping 
the, you know, bringing down the vibe of the team and the fact that, yeah, there isn't a point guard that last year was in the NCAA tournament. You do have, you know, Yurt Saban has obviously been, you know, an all Big East level type player. You know, you, you know, McClung and Pickett, when they're having good days, can, can score. You know, we've seen Blair play, et cetera. Sure, at least it's a year where they actually have bodies, so that losing two two guys in the rotation is not a massive blow from a number standpoint. But obviously, Akinjo is uh, you know uh, another level of a talent. So, um, to, I, I, yeah, it's just going to be fascinating to see over the next few days, weeks, whatever you know what exactly is happening here and um, what to what to make really of it. But, but, but also, really, is what what's the fan base going to tolerate at this point? Like. Year one, that's the reset, right? That's like, okay, wipe the slate clean, start getting in some of your guys, start implementing a new offense, defense, blah, 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 energize the fan base. Year two, there was some improvement, you know, we were a bubble team-ish, good. Year three, expectations very high. <laughs> We've talked about it at nauseum on this, you know, on this podcast, tournament or bust, um, so much talent, blah, blah, blah. Now what? Is, is there a reset now? I mean, are, are, are we, the fans, the alums, are we just supposed to accept that? Um, or do we need to take a bigger reset, you know, a bigger look? You know, do we, you know, tear well, it all down? So, I, I don't know where we go from here. So just to jump in here and, and hijack your guys' podcast. Uh, <laughs> uh, so, I mean, you know, look, obviously we're getting too far afield, but right. Let's just say at a very basic level that for whatever the reason, these two guys are gone and this limits Georgetown's chances of making the tournament, and it brings other questions into play. There were reasons why some people, did myself included, were not excited about the idea of going to Patrick Ewing in the first place. Not because he was or wasn't a good coach, but because the it, it was the idea of potentially having to get rid of him one day would seem to be even more complicated than getting rid of John Thompson III, because you can take down two or three pictures of JT3. You can't take down the entire wing of a building that shows Patrick Ewing all over the place. And, you know, obviously he, 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 test, he tested himself as a coach on the NBA level. And, you no, know, that type of guy is, you know, worthy of getting a shot even at the college level. But this obviously was different. And we don't know what Patrick Ewing's ultimate credentials were to get the job. And we, we, we can see the resume, but that's different than the actual running of the program. And, um, you know, this is a big thing. If it, if it comes to that, obviously we're way removed from that. But if it comes to that three years, no tournament, the questions about what's going on within, within inside the program, I think that's a big problem because what do you do? You can't just get rid of Patrick Ewing. It's not that, well, I, it's not I, that I, simple. I, uh, yeah, I mean, I think you, you run into this, the exact same situation that St. John's did with Mullen, right? I mean, Mullen recruited very well. Some of those kids had issues. Um, they didn't have success Mullen's, in the court. Mullen's and, dad, though, is not, is not there, though. Well, I'm saying, well, but, you know, Mullen ultimately just stepped down. You know, it was sort of a amicable departure, at least on the surface. So I think that can be handled. I'm just not sure how much of the blame Ewing really should take in all of this. I, I just don't know. I, I don't know if what these kids did allegedly off the court um, was something that he could have possibly even kept an eye on or, or prevented. Um and maybe he should be applauded even for taking these drastic steps to get kids who are allegedly causing these problems off of the program. Yeah, I mean, I would agree with that. I'm only just jumping ahead of Bobby here. I'm sure has things to say. No, I agree with that. I'm not. I have no, you know, again, no idea exactly what's going on. So it's not a matter of 
what to make of it. I was going off of your point of what's the sort the of timeline. You know, if it is, I think the timeline is going to be pretty interesting here of some of the things that are out there. You know, the timeline, like Andrew just said, Ewing should be applauded, and that that could be accurate. But you could also look at some of the times and some of those things and say, well, why were they playing at all? Yeah, I mean that that's that that's a good question, and and. <laughs> It's because the school isn't exactly transparent. We don't know any of. We don't. We don't have any answers. And I'm not right, sure. No, I just. Them. Yeah. No. I mean, yeah. I, I just wanted to bring up if we're gonna. You know, it's it. It is possible that this is great news, and if you get rid of, you know, problems, and you know, maybe some schools wouldn't mm-hmm. do it, and Georgetown is. But you also have to look at, based on some of the stuff that we saw and some of the stuff that you were tweeting, sort of the times and and all that stuff. I do think that on a base level, a lot of people have been tweeting at us, all of us, I'm sure talking about, you know, um, I'm, you know, I'm already tired of viewing and, you know, you're only two years in and seven games. I thought guaranteed on a base level, he gets five years, no matter what happens, no matter how upset anyone is that they don't make the tournament for three or four years. I don't think unless he decided he wants to go back to the NBA or something, I don't see any scenario outside of something crazy. Like who knows what, what's, what's happening now, but I don't see any scenario where he doesn't get at least five years on his own to see, can he fix this program? Can he get him back to the NCAA tournament? Let me just jump in here real quick with the with some legal stuff. Because okay. people, as I'm, I guess I'm on the phone. People are like, "What does this mean legally?" Look, a, a, a judge will usually grant a temporary or preliminary restraining order if there is any reason at all that he or she finds that the plaintiffs could possibly be in any sort of danger. It's the next step that's the most important one, and that's the the permanent restraining order. So. Very rarely does a temporary restraining order not get granted, um, but then there's a hearing to determine whether it becomes permanent, and that's when the real stuff comes out. So the fact that a preliminary restraining order or injunction, whatever, was granted on behalf of the plaintiff or plaintiffs against uh, the two players named in the complaint, that is not by any means you know, an acknowledgement of any guilt it is an acknowledgement of some wrongdoing, however. Um, so that's just something to keep in mind. Yeah, and and you know, I mean, I, uh, I I'm uh, cognizant, I guess, uh, that that who knows who's listening to this. And yeah, it's important to note. Yeah, I don't think any of us are suggesting in any way, shape, or form that anybody is uh, guilty of anything. We don't know what's going on, but Andrew's uh, you know had the, had the document. There's some other things out there, um, and you know, again, we yeah, like you said, we don't know what to make of this. How much is, how much, if anything, is the responsibility of the coaching staff? Uh, you know, and maybe, maybe they should be applauded. Ultimately, we'll once we find out details that they <clears throat> did, did uh, you know, if if they did, you know, kick them off the team, if that's how it went down or, or whatnot. But uh, yeah, it's really going to be fascinating. I mean, the fact that we, I mean, it almost seems silly how you know, in in the times I've been on the podcast or talking to you guys on the side. You know, we're focusing on, oh, my God, they really can't beat. Um, you know, they got trucked by Penn State at home. Wait, you lose to UNC Greensboro. You know, a, a team that's the top 100 for Ken Palm, but you lose that one at home, coming yeah. off of, you know, some, some reasonable performances. And and now, one way or the other, we're, even if, even if you know, the, the coaching staff did all the right things as far as monitoring the situation and discipline, that we're back to what is, what is what is this program right now from a basketball perspective? Um, you know, it, it's it's. Uh, I, I know for one, I didn't really want to get into a lot of uh, big picture stuff with Georgetown this year. It's like, okay, let's just let them play. 
But this every every year doesn't have to be about you know can you and get this done or what's the you know what's the deal with this thing. But yeah, one way or the other, it feels like we're we're, we're back there again. Well, if you want to just go strictly basketball right now, I know who I would say. Who let, let's just say a four and three Georgetown team with you know <laughs> who basically they were at a point where last game lost to Greensboro because their top three offensive options all had terrible nights. Right, they were like ten for thirty seven combined. And it's kind of like it was at one point when you had um, you know Prior Peak and Jesse. It was like you had to have two of those guys go off. If three went off, you could beat anybody. If two went off, you could have a chance. If one, you had no chance. Well, they just they just lost one of those guys. So now you're down to McClung in your seven. Who do you think on their team would have to be the next guy up? Not necessarily filling Akinjo's role as the point guard, but who's the next option? I guess I can give you mine, or I can let you see what you want to say first, and I won't I won't sway you. I mean, if you're going to say Javon Blair, I'm about to hang up. Yeah, I'm not going to say Blair, <laughs> but tell me, Blair is definitely going to be needed more than uh, people thought. <laughs> well, because there's really no other option. Um, I mean, Pickett? I yeah, mean, it's got to be Pickett. It's got to be Pickett. It's got to be Pickett. It's got to be Pickett, and it's, it's got to be freshman Pickett. Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, beginning of the year to me, he, he, I wrote about that he was the X factor of the team, and, yes, that was at a point when they had um, – when, 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 when the Kinjo and LeBlanc were – we're, we're here, but that, yeah, Pickett looked more like the freshman year Pickett. And when I talked to him at media day, he admitted that he got distracted by some talk about, you know, uh, possibly going pro one day and things like that. And he needed to turn that around. Uh, obviously, you know, he's had some moments this season. Um, I'll, I'll leave it up to Bobby to say whether he's looked distracted or not. But, and, and, you know, it's hard to know. His, his, his scoring has been kind of up and down, but, you know, he doesn't have the ball a lot relative to Akinjo or McClung or Yurtsaven. So, that's going to kind of come with the territory. So, yeah, he can turn into a guy who puts up when he has his good good days where he's making shots and that becomes more of the norm. Yeah, I mean, again, the, 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 that would be ginormous. But, I mean, look, there's even more, like, functional things. Like, McClung's defense remains problematic, but now you're going to have to keep him out of the court. You can't, like, he. I mean, maybe Ewing just gets stubborn and says, to hell with it, I'm going to put in somebody else. But, you know, how do you take that guy off the court now? You need somebody who can score. He can at least do that. So, you know, the uh, – I, I typically, we, I, you know, I certainly – I think most people do think of these things from an offensive standpoint. But from right. a de- defensive standpoint, I mean, that this is this loss, it may, it may hurt them almost on some level more on that end. Probably not. But maybe more on that end than, than, the, than the offensive end. And then outside of the starting lineup, you know, Ewing obviously went with Gardner a lot in the second half against Greensboro, and he actually had a pretty good half both I thought on both sides of the ball. I think you're going to need either Gardner or Alexander to provide much more than maybe they were, you know, on on pace to give Georgetown offensively. I mean, I asked Ewing, I said, look, is it is it fair to say your team is not going to win a lot of games in the 60s? Like, you got to get to around 75, up to 80 and, and beyond. And he said, Absolutely. We have to score more to win. I mean, it sounds easy. Yeah, you have to score more than their team. But Georgetown's not going to, you know, th- this isn't a JT3 team where you're constantly beating people like, you know, 63 to 49. Like, that's not, this team isn't built like that. So where are all these points coming from? And I think those are two guys that have the potential besides my guy, Javon Blair. Well, I, I would I would, I would, just say this as well. Like, to me, one thing that's fascinating about college basketball is, you know, uh, 
the, the recent example I, I tend to use because we watched it happen was Bob Huggins at West Virginia. When the year they played Georgetown in the NIT, they had this sort of standard methodical kind of team. And by the next season, they were this, you know, 40 minutes of hell type team because he looked at the personnel and switched all around and made changes. You know, this is in season. It's not a, it's not an off season, but like, you, you know, a signs of a good coach. Can, you look at the personnel that you have and adapt to it. Can Georgetown do that? I don't know. Uh, you know, I think a lot of us are still sort of wondering what is Ewing sort of doing out there? Is he just the guy who's the classic example of a great former player who thinks that others should be able to sort of execute in the way that he did because it came, I won't say easy, but like he was able to do certain things. If he doesn't make adjustments based on this team, like you're saying, fine, maybe you don't want to, you, you can't go up as up-tempo. You just lost depth. You just lost your point guard. But but can you execute in that other in that other way? I, I don't know. And uh, that, that that to me is going to be like a, you know from a broader perspective, this will be a test of what Ewing and his coaching staff can do with this massive loss in season. How do you adjust on the fly to the personnel that you have? Uh, to me, is going to be a, a fascinating uh, situation. Whenever whenever we talk about that, I know we talked offline about that before. I always think of Notre Dame and a couple years in, in a row, they had to go to like the, uh, the burn offense under Mike Bray. They kept having all these injuries and they sort of found a way to do it that way. I'm not sure Georgetown has the ability to slow the game down and sort of, you know, strangle you into submission. I still think it, whatever this roster is, they have to just try and outscore you. Well, that's not going to portend well for the future then, because you just took two of the, the guys who were, pretty much in charge of running the floor, you know, pushing the pace and, you know, finishing, et cetera, um, off the team. I mean, who, so who, 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 I mean, let's talk about a starting five against Oklahoma state. I think, right? I think, so, I think Allen slides in for Akinjo and they just, they just go with that. So Allen McClung, Mosley Pickett, and your seven. Yeah. Right? And, 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 it's a, and it's not, I mean, again, if you ignore the Akinjo part of it, I mean, that's not, you know, relatively speaking, that, that's not that's not terrible. I mean, Allen again. I mean, not saying he was the world's greatest point guard, but like you know, he is a guy that has shown the ability to play at a reasonably high level before. And you know, he's a fifty-year guy, or whatever. So you know, that that should be a reasonable look. It's you know, now on the bench, you've got a you know a bunch of kids for the most part, but uh, but, well, but he was still well, just, Bob, you well, have different types this, of players, right? But what was that stat that Bobby tweeted out about the seventy-point thing? Yeah, when they score fewer than 70, they're 2-15 and 15 under Ewing. One of the wins was against Eastern Shore. The other win was against a bad St. John's team. So, like, they have to get to okay. 70 to give okay. themselves any chance to win. At least historically, right? So how do you get to 70 without Akinjo and McClung, uh, Akinjo and LeBlanc on the team? Well, LeBlanc scored – I mean, he wasn't even really playing. So, unfortunately, you're not even really replacing him at this moment. He wasn't really part of this team this year, right? Kind of. Well, I guess, but but you know, they didn't get to just... seventy against uh, Greensboro, and they lost. Right. <laughs> right. When LeBlanc barely played. Um, yeah. No. I mean, I think it, I think Pickett <laughs> has to go back to the levels of shot attempts he took as a freshman before Kinjo McClung got there. I mean, you know, everyone likes to laugh at me about being behind Javon Blair. Javon Blair averaged like ten points as a senior. He made like sixty threes. You know. So and then. Akinjo McClung got there and they have a lot of the ball and those guys aren't aggressive enough to take, to get their own shots off. You know, it was easier for Blair to get shots off when the other guards were Dickerson and Mulmore, you know? Um, yeah. So I think, 
I think, you know, we obviously Patrick likes Gardner. He played a lot last game, and he sort of looks like Jabril out there. He's going to need to start playing a little bit more like that. And we're going to need to see more out of Alexander. We've seen some of it. And then, you know, you're sitting there, and Alexander kind of does like a, what were you, like, what were you thinking type shot, and then Ewing takes him out. Or, you know, a what were you thinking, you know, drive to the basket, offensive charge, whatever. So I think you're just going to need those guys, you know, and Alexander's not a freshman. He's a junior, you know, so it's not like, you know, Gardner's a freshman. So, I mean, it's obviously a terrible situation to be losing two all-freshman players and in the biggest all-freshman of the year. But I think this is, as it should be, in year three of you, and you're there, he's at his best equipped to try and fill guys into those roles. Um, and then also now the 2020, I mean, I know I kept tweeting things like, look, you know, if if your seven comes back, which no one thinks he's going to, and I totally understand that, if not the NBA play in Europe, you know, you you were one over your scholarship limit. Well, now you've got your one under the scholarship limit. So you got to keep recruiting another guard. I mean, the guard they're bringing in, you know, most people hadn't heard of him. And I don't think they were expecting big minutes. I talked to a coach who was saying that he's the kind of guy that you get that, you know, you got to get some kids that are like, they're going to be four year backups. And Dante Harris probably fits that role. And if you want to accept that role, that's a great player to have. So you're probably in the market for another guard at, at, at least for next year. Yeah, R.J. Davis would have been nice. R.J. Davis would have been nice, but UNC got in the mix and they're hard to beat. <laughs> yeah, you, you also wonder if you know the presence of both Akinjo and McClung caused some recruits to look elsewhere. Um, I don't think so. I mean, now, UNC's got tons of kids up on their team. Like, these kids all think yeah, they're going to start no matter well, where they go. Yeah, but... But Cole Anthony's one and done. I mean, who knows? It's all speculative and, and right, right. And so, but you know, and and who knows? Maybe some transfer will enter the market, and they'll be fine there. But um, anyway, I think. Um, uh, so I. Anything else you want to mention? I flipped on my prediction. I had them in the tournament. Then after the Penn State <laughs> game, I decided that they couldn't play defense for the fifth season in a row. I had them out. They went to New York, and I thought they had a really good chance of going two and zero based on what we saw through three halves of basketball. They went one and one, but I was back that they're in the tournament. And I said I wasn't going to flip even after the UNC Greensboro loss when I was talking to Ava. But after this, this will be, I mean, if Patrick Ewing gets this team into the NCAA tournament, I think he's up for, you know, he's going to be one of the one of the finalists for Big East Coach of the Year, right? Well, I mean, certainly, I mean, <laughs> that, that, yeah. I mean, if, if, if Georgetown, again, assuming that, like, these guys were just some drag on team chemistry, yeah, if they if they figure out a way to I my mean, expectations have been so so lowered, even if they don't like make the tournament, but they're at least just sort of in the bubble conversation. I think at this point would probably be somewhat of a, a surprise, just cons- you know, as we're talking about this, just a couple hours after the, the news broke. But like, I I sort of go back to the coaching aspect. Uh, I, I don't know, I don't know if I'm allowed to mention George Washington's program here on this podcast. But like when I was covering that team more, when Mike Lonergan was there. There was a year or two there where he broke out a 1-3-1 zone. He didn't want to do it, but he recognized the personnel he had. He had sort of an agile uh, big man, but didn't have a lot else up front. So he had wings. So he, that's what he kind of went with, and it worked. And, and, George, and GW had some some good success with that, even though that wasn't like the ideal plan. I, I don't. That, that's what I'm going to be fascinated by. This is not the ideal play, situation for Patrick Ewing on any level. Now what? If he just stays with the same system, we'll see. Maybe it works. Maybe Allen comes in and, you know, he's a distributor and, and everybody gets shots and Pickett gets the ball more in his hands and makes plays and, and, and Blair and, and some other guys and things look different. But, you know, on some level, this is a test of his coaching. 
what what he Honestly, these are the pieces uh, uh, he has. What can he do? I they're not making the tournament. Okay, this is this this team is not making the NCAA tournament. What I really want to come from all this is more change in the macro level. I want the school to be more transparent for once. It's really it's that's it's, never going to happen. It has to happen. We, but, I mean, but this is why they need. But, but this is why that if you were going to get rid of JT three, they had to go all the way to to, to stay with because part of the that's issue what is I said, that's what I said. We all we all talk about the Thompsons. It's not just the Thompsons though. The school itself. I mean, somebody once described it to me. It's a Patriot League uh, program or, or or overall athletic department that got this weird random basketball thing. Uh, hey, like, hey, hey, gonna, hey, Ben. This is a nationally ranked soccer program. Okay, they're about to go to the Final Four. There's no Patriot <laughs> yeah, League no. Team doing that, man. <laughs> no, but well, seriously, but seriously, you, you, you all. I mean, both of you have met Lee Reed, stand-up guy, good guy. I mean, at least yeah. that was the impression I, I got. I, I, I can't I like imagine who were there. any. Yeah, I can't imagine any scenario that he's happy about this. I also can't imagine any scenario where he's happy about the amount of information that that perhaps isn't out there. I, I, I just think that if he had the ability to, you know, have his input in the basketball program, it would be a much different program than the way it is today. And whoever it is that is preventing that needs to go. Well, I, I mean, I, I don't disagree with your point. I, my, I'm, that, I'm just saying like, you know, not, not you know, not to go back to three, you know three years ago, but this was the point that we were making then. Like, if you're going to make the change to J off of JT three, it wasn't just that JT three suddenly forgot to cut a coach. The, the structural aspects of the of the situation were 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 behind the times, and then they brought in a guy who brought who took it back even further, a little bit. I I, I mean, I've generally liked my interactions with Patrick Ewing. The schedule is obviously a lot better this year. I think they've been a little more progressive in a couple of ways, but yes, I mean they're very closed off. This is not this is not normal, you know, not surprising, and it feels like it's even gone backwards. And I think the the school is cool with that because this is how it's been, and they need an, they need an overhaul, no doubt. Back backwards? What are you talking about? Have you seen our hashtag this year? Hashtag Hoya <laughs> oh. season doesn't get more progressive <laughs> than that. I would just like Jesus to say right. I said this a week ago, and I'm gonna I'm gonna say it now. A week ago, the Hoya season hashtag was like the least of their problems, and now it's even like a smaller problem that they have. <laughs> well, the white uniforms are still there too, but anyway, I gotta go. I kind of want to watch some of this game. Okay. Um, again, thanks everyone for listening to the emergency <laughs> edition of Kente Corner. We had Andrew Geiger at Casual Hoya, Ben Standing from the Athletic at Ben Standing. And, uh, you know, find us on, on Apple Podcasts, all those places. Rate us. Give us give us a high five. Um, I'm Bobby Bancroft, and hopefully next time we will have something uh, more positive to talk about. And, and, and But you know what? Maybe we won't, and we might need another one soon. Who knows? Stay tuned. Well, <laughs> I'm hoping, you know, I'm hoping there's yeah. a couple of days without one of these. Um, Yes, I mean, I mean, tomorrow, I mean, tomorrow's tomorrow's gonna be a or what? Well, the Oklahoma State game—that's a big game. I'm with you on discount of the NCAA tournament op, uh, upside, but you know, this is an interesting game to say the least on a lot of different levels. Who knows? Maybe they come out energized, uh, you know, more of a unit, um, us against the world kind of thing, and uh, they beat Oklahoma State. We'll, we'll all be watching regardless. I'll say this: 
if Georgetown has a chance to make the NCAA tournament, either Mac McClung or Amiriard Seven is going to have to be right in the mix for Big East Player of the Year. Yeah. Right. Yep. Hard to argue. Absolutely. I like it. I like when you guys don't argue with me, particularly Ben. Ben and I argue <laughs> all the time. All right, guys. All right, guys. Thank, th- thanks again. All right. Bye. Bye.